Well, good morning, Five Stones Koa, City on the Hill Church, and Awake Vancouver. What a privilege and a joy for us to be able to come and celebrate today. My name is John. For those that don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors at Five Stones. And today we get to worship, we get to celebrate, and to be a witness of what happened 2,000 years ago. What joy it is that we have for the grace to come together as a church, as one church. And today I have the privilege and the honor to come alongside my brothers, Pastor Marlon and Pastor Teddy, to bring today's message of Emmanuel, God with us. But before we go into it, let's pray. Father God, we worship and adore you. We celebrate together today, giving you all honor and praise. May you be glorified as we are in your presence today in this Christmas service. We thank you, Lord, for your promise fulfilled through your son, Jesus. Emmanuel, be your constant companion in our time together. May the truth in your word guide our thoughts and your spirit empower and transform us to be your church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. That's going to be our main verse in the central passage of our message today. And today we're going to look at the profound nature of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're going to take a look at three different paradigms in the significance of Emmanuel through the incarnation, through revelation, and through transformation. So John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This idea of the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the passage that John writes tells us that God took on the form of humanity to be with us and to live among us. This is where the term incarnation comes from. It is God our Father, the, our Creator, who through the Old Testament, and maybe even sometimes today, is often perceived as beyond our human comprehension one that feels distant from our everyday life, but yet God demonstrates this imminence that we give him by choosing to dwell among us, by choosing to come down and to be with us. What this reveals to us as a church is that it reveals that God is intimate and involved in our lives. You see, in the garden before sin entered, when God initially created the heavens and the earth, when he created Adam and Eve. In his creation, God walked among them in the garden. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, but because of the brokenness of sin, that relationship also became broken. The incarnation of God through Jesus is God breaking down the barriers of what is seen as the divine and the unreachable to become part of the world and bridging that broken relationship that was lost. Since that fall, it's always been God's plan to reconcile the original relationship with him. 
because we see through the Old Testament in Leviticus 6, 26, 11, and 12, it says this, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. And again in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we know that God's promise is to be with his creation, to be with his people. That's part of his original plan. And God put this in action through the first covenant he made with Abraham and then confirming, confirming this covenant with David that he will form and establish his throne and kingdom here on earth. Through these prophetic words, the people of Israel had long awaited this promise of a Messiah, right? They knew there was a Messiah that's, that's been talked and preached and we knew that this Messiah is coming. Yet God's plan didn't unfold the way that Israel expected it to be. The incarnation of God's love was revealed in the most unexpected way and in the most humble manner. In the Christmas story, from the place Jesus was born to the first witness that were called, there was nothing majestic or glamorous or even provocative about it. It was simple, it was intimate, it was humble and vulnerable. It was, in essence, the fullness of the human experience and existence. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in his version of the Bible called The Message, and he says that he moved into the neighborhood. It's kind of a weird way of putting it, right? But I think it shows us the intentionality of Jesus. Think of it, when you move into a neighborhood, what do you consider? You're probably looking at the location, you're probably looking at the safety, schools, amenities, park, cultures, convenience. You're looking at land value, it's all about location. When Jesus left where he was, his neighborhood with God the Father probably had the best area code the best postal code, it's called heaven. He left to move to a place that is broken, that is fallen, that's corrupt by sin, is full of spiritual rebels, a place of physical, political, and spiritual danger, literally a war zone to live among us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood not because it was a great place to live, but he did it for us to be with us. Think of it as if you needed to move into the downtown east side so that you can be with the people. It's what we call it as a church, incarnational living. But I'll leave that to Teddy to tell, tell you about. But I believe the incarnation of God through Jesus is a deliberate disruption of what was and to make all things new. The birth of Jesus through his life and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection began something in what we call a new creation in which we now live in and that our relationship with God is intimate and personal. 
Consider that in the Christmas story, the shepherds on that holy night tending to their sheeps under the scarlet sky, ordinary people about their daily routines. And then all of a sudden, heaven opens up in the radiance of God and the angels appearing, declaring this news of a Savior's birth. First, that God sees everyday people like you and me. But more importantly, that God breaks into our ordinary and our mundane to reveal his love in often unexpected ways. Think of the times that you felt lost or broken, yet God's presence became tangible. It brought comfort, it brought healing, and it brought hope. Emmanuel is just that. It's the shepherds encountering God, experiencing the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary, and how God is moving with us. It's the act of divine humility showing us the heart of God. It sets the stage for this transformative impact of Emmanuel within the church. Incarnation is a divine invasion into the brokenness of the world. God in his infinite love chose to live with us to take on the human form in the person of Jesus. It is a creator entering into his creation, experiencing our joy, our sorrow, our challenges. Jesus walked alongside humanity to demonstrate a love that knows no bounds, bringing healing, justice, restoration. Jesus' incarnation is a call for us to be incarnational and to join him in his mission having been saved by his grace. So when we look at our own lives, we can see the moments of, incarnate, of the incarnational happening, the fingerprints of God's love through our community. Remember those times where the kindness of God was there, the times where you feel unconditional love, or the moments of grace that shape our individual and collective stories. These are the glimpses of Emmanuel who continues to be present in our lives. God made the move to dwell among us, to show us how much he loved us and that he is present in our life and his presence continues to be with us. Marlon. Good morning, church families. How are you? Good. Marlon, I'm one of the pastors at Awake and I'll continue on our theme of Emmanuel, God with us. Um, looking again at verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did he come? What was his mission? Why did Jesus come into this world? Right? That is what our passage this morning is laying out for us. And, and, and John so profoundly entered into the, the incarnation. That God, the God, moved into our neighborhood. And, and, and that entire thought is just, it's mind-blowing. But there's more in the passage before us. It says that he came to reveal something to us. There's something he wanted us to see. Did you catch it? He wanted us to see what? His glory. Look at it. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. That's what I, I want to take some time to dive in with you and, and talk with you about today. 
Emmanuel as revelation. And specifically, him revealing to us his glory. Now, what is that? Right? What is his glory? Well, even talking about the word glory, it's not necessarily something we have in our everyday vernacular. Glory comes from the Greek word doxa. It's got a, a wide range of meanings. It can mean brightness or splendor, radiance, majesty. But if I can give you my definition, I would say it's this. It's the very best of something. How many of you guys, when you were growing up in elementary school, had show and tell? Right? It's probably not politically correct. I'm sure they've changed it now to something else. They change everything these days. But I had show and tell. Okay? So... When you had show and tell, you brought what? Your glory. You brought the very best of what you had to share with someone else. Okay? So, the year was 1992. If you are a sports fan, right, that should ring a bell. Because it was the year of the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. Right? Now, if you are a basketball fan like me, Man, that was like the Olympics of Olympics. I, I grew up in the, in the States, sorry. But um, it, was, <laughs> it, it was the first year of the original dream team, right? So all summer long, I watched Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Charles Barkley, my heroes, play basketball. It, it, it's like a little kid's dream come true to watch all of these guys on one team. Right? And I watched every minute of every game up into the gold medal round where they, they won. After the Olympics, I remember going to the grocery store with my mom. And on the Wheaties box, it had the Olympic team. And it was advertising for you to have a chance to win their Olympic jackets. They wore these really cool warm-up jackets. And if you bought 100 boxes of cereal, you could have the jacket just like them. And so, of course, what did I do? I begged and I pleaded my mom every single time we went. I saved up all my proofs of purchase, sent them in, and waited for my Olympic jacket, right? One month went by, two months, three months, no jacket. Finally, right, after what seemed like an eternity, I got a package in the mail from Kellogg, right? So excited. Immediately tore into the box, throwing out all the stuffing, and I arrive at the, the bottom of the box, no jacket. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they ripped me off. Like, who would do that to a kid? I bought all this cereal, didn't even eat half of it. Like, I, I, I need my Olympic jacket. And so I went back through the, the paper and the packaging that was there, and I found this, this rolled up wad of paper that had a rubber band around it. And I took it out and unrolled it, and there was my Olympic jacket. Guys, I kid you not, no exaggeration, it was like the, the material of a trash can, right? Like the trash bags, right? Like it was, it was awful. I mean, absolutely ruined my childhood, okay? Still scarred to this day, right? It was supposed to be my glory. Why am I going through this? Why am I telling you this story? Obviously, there's still some trauma I need to work through. No. Jesus came to reveal to us the very best of God, his glory. 
And unlike my dream team jacket, his glory didn't disappoint. It lived up to the hype. It, it exceeded the hype. So what was the glory of Jesus? Well, we could talk about his compassion. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? How no one else wanted to be around her. She had to go to the well to get water in the afternoon. And, and John makes it pretty clear that that's, that's a detail that we should pick up on. It wasn't the usual time that people would go to get water, right? She was there alone, and yet Jesus had said he had to go there. He wanted to show this woman compassion. We could talk about his mercy. Skip forward into John's gospel, and you come to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, about to be stoned, but Jesus showed what? Mercy. We could talk about his wisdom. Remember all the times in all the Gospels, the Pharisees try and trip him up in his words, and Jesus just flips the script on them with so much wisdom. We could talk about his righteousness. I mean, there's countless examples of the righteousness of Christ in the Scriptures. The man literally walked on water, okay? But most of all, he revealed to us the glory of his love. His birth revealed to us the love of the Father. You know the passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, you guys all seem like really nice people, but if you were in trouble, I would not bail you out with the life of my son. I've got three, so I've got a couple to spare, but still, right? Like, I would not do that. But this is literally the Christmas story. It's the story of sacrificial love from the Father. His ministry revealed to us his own love, the love of the Son. What other possible reason would explain, just as John pointed out, him leaving the glory, the splendor, the majesty of heaven to hang out with fishermen and prostitutes and tax collectors, sinners, failures, and fools? That's the kind of sacrificial love that, like, people that are crazy in love demonstrate, right? That's that, if you remember back to your high school days, that's that first kind of love, love. That's that, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up kind of love until 3 a.m. in the morning, right? That's the crazy kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. He continues to love us today through who? Through his Holy Spirit. I know oftentimes the Holy Spirit can be a confusing topic for people, but he makes it very clear, right? God loves us so much that he sent his Spirit to dwell in us, John 14, 17. In other words, he's saying that God loved you so much he wanted to be with you 24-7, all the time. That's the ministry of his Spirit. Guys, really the arc of all of Scripture the entire biblical story is a revelation of God's glorious love. Think about it. It starts with, in the beginning, he made a home for us to be with him. And when you get to the end of the book, it ends with him remaking his world. Why? So that we can be with him forever. If you were here today for the first time, or if you come all the time, Please know 
how deeply and passionately God loves you. That is the real meaning of Christmas. Amen? His love is so glorious, they should make a song about it. Something like, and the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love, sing it with me, and the wonders, wonders of his love. I found out um, a couple months ago that I have to get glasses. This isn't part of the sermon, I just want to let you guys know. Um, <laughs> that I have to get glasses. I, I, uh, I'm looking at a lot of your faces, a lot of you have glasses, and you, you don't have pity for me at all. I, because my cousin, <coughs> sorry, my sister-in-law and my, my brother, as I messaged them and said, I, I, I need to get glasses, guys, at 46. My sister-in-law said, I had glasses at eight years old. I don't feel any pain for you. I really uh, do have a hard time seeing though. I can't see clearly anymore. And honestly, it's been a hard pill to swallow. And I was joking with my optometrist and I told her, I'm gonna look for a second opinion. Um, And uh, so I'm in a little bit of denial. But I do think this reality of me getting glasses actually <coughs> is a reminder of something else. Something a lot more spiritual than I, than I had anticipated. I believe in this season of Advent and Christmas that it's not just a time for us to ponder, but maybe what Christ is trying to do in my life and in yours <coughs> is to rekindle a vision. A vision that comes from transformation. Amen? In order for us to rekindle that vision of transformation, we must first start to see a clear vision of who Christ is. In our passage today that we read from in John chapter 1, all the way down to 18, that's the whole the context there, um, we find there's two verses that I want to f- focus on right now in this. There's verse 10, and and verse 10 says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And then there's verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's interesting about this section is that from verse 1 to 18, some commentators have chiastic structure. I say this just so I sound smart. And... So what a chiastic structure is and does is there will be section A and section A bracketing, then section B leading to the center of the chiastic structure, which is the main point or the main thrust or the main emphasis of this section in Scripture. So some have said in verse, verse 1 to 5 and verse 6 to 18 are the A bracketing of the chiastic structure, and then B, verse 6 to 9, and then verse 15, which eventually leads to the apex of this section of Scripture, which is found in verse 10 to 14. And this apex, in this central point, we find this incredible truth. And we find that this truth is found hidden in plain sight. 
For like I said in verse 10, it said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. However, it says at the end of that apex in verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one. He was hidden in plain sight. To dwell among his people literally meant to tabernacle. He pitched his tent. He wanted to be around us. Broken, fragmented, people that have a really difficult time living together, as we can see evidence in the world today. The reality is, often, what Christ will do is transform our vision. Teaching us and training us to find Christ in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the everyday. In the weak things, in the natural things, in the powerless things. As Christ appeared to humanity, many had not recognized him. Today, as we live every day, do you see him around you? Is he present in your worlds today? Maybe there's a transformative work that he's trying to do with your vision. The reality is when we see the glory of God, we are given a new perspective, aren't we? We are taught to see life and the world differently. But it always begins with how we see Christ and how we see ourselves in the light of Christ. John says in verse 15, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John's vision of himself and of Christ was in right alignment. He knew where he stood with Christ. And that was not above him, ahead of him. But that was after Christ. I understand that there is this reality out there. That we live in a broken and evil and hurtful world. And often our need for control will put us in a position of misalignment with Christ, where we feel like we are the Christ. We are the Messiah. But what we learn in our text today is that there is only one Mashiach, only one Messiah. And it's not you, it's not my, me, and it's definitely not John and Marlon for sure. Um, Candace, that was a lot loud laugh, actually. <laughs> a little bit louder than I was anticipating, but I don't know. Do we have prayer ministry after this? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> we are not the Messiah. There is only one. And in that moment in history, it was uniquely and perfectly disclosed to all of the world that Christ was the image of God made visible, as Paul said in Colossians. When we see Christ, we see God. So when we see Christ, we have, we're given a new vision. Not just for your life, but for, but for all of life. We have a new vision, a restored vision, for this world. And this restored vision is an invitation for you and for I. It's an invitation to rebuild.
the kingdom of God wherever we go. Often I find myself sometimes, often and sometimes don't go together, but often sometimes, I find myself frustrated with this season. I was just telling someone, it's been such a crazy season for me, for I'm sure all of us, shopping and all this stuff that's happening all around us, year end, all that kind of stuff. And I feel frustrated because I feel that things are getting out of control. And without knowing, I'm thrust into the center of my story. I was never meant to be the center. I was never meant to be the hero. There's only one. The frustration I find is that our stories are typically centered around ourselves. You see, Advent and Christmas is not a time for us just a countdown to Christmas. But it's a constant reminder for us every day as we lead into Christmas that he is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy in the midst of chaos. He is our love. It's a time for us to be reminded once again that this vision is much more beyond you, but is truly about him. But this vision that is about him is always extended to those who've been transformed and touched by God. Isaiah in Isaiah 61 had this great vision of what it would look like when the Messiah would come. And this is a vision that he was given, and it said, The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is on me, because I, the Lord, has an- sorry, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness of prisoners. We go down to verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and, and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is a vision, a prophetic vision that Isaiah was given of what this new humanity, heaven on earth, was to look like through the work of the Messiah, the sovereign one, the one who brings good news. Amen? Do we live life with this vision? To preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. Do we share and embody the same vision that Christ had for the world? You see, this is an invitation in this season to rekindle that vision again. Maybe to reclaim it for ourselves. With all of the turmoil that is happening in our world today, in Gaza, Ukraine, all over the world, in fact, even things that we don't hear about in the news. There is an invitation for us as the new humanity of God to build his kingdom. Verse 8 of that vision, God says, For I, the Lord, love justice. You and I here today are rebuilders of that vision. That vision came to the people of Israel when they are oppressed. They had no place. 
in the middle of chaos. Some of you today are here today because you're looking for peace, for hope, for love and joy. And everything that surrounds you is chaotic. Everything around you says that you can't attain any of those things. Let me say to you today, let me say this clearly. that you can attain and find this all in Christ. I guess I have to wrap it up. Is that what's happening? Yeah, because I, I, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, like, what are we singing? Can I sing with you guys? Okay. Let me end. Swipe down to the bottom of my, just joking. There's a cry in humanity today that is crying out for the Messiah. That is crying out for the Messiah. And although there is darkness that surrounds us, I believe that Christ is in the middle of it. He's not afraid to move into the neighborhood. He's not afraid of those dark spaces. He's not afraid of being in the rubble of the bomb, bomb-ravaged spaces in Gaza. This is where our Christ is. The invitation is for us as the people of God. Will we go into those spaces with the same restored vision, the same prophetic vision that Isaiah had? This is our chance to respond, church. I pray that this season would not just pass us, would not just pass us by without having a vision for his kingdom rekindled. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This is John chapter 1 and the message paraphrase. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for a lovely service here this morning. We thank you that uh, we remember that you desire more than anything else to dwell with your people. That you desire relationship with us, with the world. More than anything, your passion, your passion is to be close to your people, God with us, Emmanuel. Your passion is to draw us near to you. Your passion is to come down to our level, to move into our neighborhood, to tabernacle, to tent with us, to, to bring heaven to our level. And I thank you that uh, it is your will, it is your will, as you have taught us to pray, that, uh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. You want to be on earth as it is in heaven. You want to be with us. So all the glory go to you, Lord. All the glory and honor 
thank you for making it real to us, God in the flesh, that, is, that you are not God in, in some mysterious spirit way, but you are God in the flesh, that you come and move into our world, a broken world filled with sin, filled with darkness. And the candle that we hold right now shows that you want that, uh, that this light wants to come into our world. And this light is now entering our darkness and, and dispelling the darkness. So Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that once again we remember that you are a God who is with your people. That you're not far away, that you're not some distant planet or distant heaven. You are with your people. And may this truth just ring through throughout all our, throughout all our celebrations, all our eating and drinking, this, this Christmas celebration, that we know that you have arrived. And this is what Advent is all about, your arrival. And may our hearts just welcome you, make room. May our hearts make room for you. So Jesus, we ask for your blessing upon us as we go forth from here. May our, may our, may our whole lives just be, be totally, may our whole lives just be a, a reflection of our breath taken away by your great love, by your great desire to be with us, to live with us, to move in to our neighborhood. So Jesus, thank you again for relating that story to us through your spirit today. And may our hearts just be so blessed and so full so that we can share this story of you moving into our neighborhood with others. So bless us as we go from here. And we pray this in the mighty name of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.